And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me in the studio today is the Reverend Mark Diedrich. Good to be here, Dan. Well, Mark, it's nice to see you today and have you here in the studio. The thought occurred to us the other day. I was talking with someone about uh, the American Indian, and I realized, wait a minute, you're an expert on Indians, and we've never done a plain answer deep dive on the American Indian. And I realized, too, that we'll probably only uh, just barely touch the surface. But uh, one of the things you did back a number of years ago was you... um, you did a THM through Princeton Theological Seminary, and um, your thesis was the Colonial Protestant Missions to the Iroquois. So you did a very deep dive on that, studied that in some detail. To get us started today, I guess I want to state something, and maybe we can kind of examine it from different angles. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about uh, Christianity with respect to the American Indian, And so maybe you can get us started and just talk about that a little bit. I think the misconceptions um, that occurred, well, there there are any number of them. But one of them that I think has occurred is that really nothing much was done to try to convert the Indians, you know. And whenever you hear the Christians say, well, we want to come over to the New World to convert— the people that are there, that that's a false statement. You know, mm-hmm. the, these people really have other motivations. And and I think that's been propounded because um, right after the Reformation, you have a period of time between the Reformation and maybe, say, the time of William Carey, where a number of even Protestants will will stand up and call it the Great Omission. The Great Omission. Yeah, and the Great Omission is that here uh, Calvin and Luther and these guys just really didn't do anything to try to oh try to spread the gospel. It's accusatory. Out. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's a okay. it's a a very pejorative term, and I think that you know when I look at it, it's like it's you know fingernails on a chalkboard to me. <laughs> you know because I've studied what sure. these guys did, and a lot of these guys were very concerned about evangelism. Calvin sent over a 1,000 missionaries back to France. 1,000? Yeah. Now, that was his mission field that he saw. Mm. Now, did they ignore the New World? I mean, after all, Columbus had—it was 1492—he discovered, you know, the New World and all these uh, mm-hmm. Spanish conquistadors and, and, and Portugal, and, and they were all in South America— and so they turn around and say, well, the Catholics were moving out, but what about the Protestants? You don't see mm. any Protestants down in South America. And that's, of course, is right. And why is that? Well, all you have to do is say, how do you get to South America? <laughs> Back in the uh, 16th century, you didn't call your travel agent and, no. and, and book a flight. That's right. You had to sail on these rickety sailing ships and guess who owned the oceans back then? Mm-hmm. Spain That's right. and Portugal. Mm-hmm. England, not yet. England, until the Spanish Armada in 1558 was mm-hmm. was uh, knocked out, they were just coming into their own. Mm-hmm. And so, and even at that, Calvin tried to. Calvin tried to send missionaries to uh, to South America, and uh, the Portuguese sailors immediately threw them in jail. Yeah. So, 
there was no omission there. So what happens then? Well, finally you have Protestant England and Protestant Holland starting to feel their own, and their ships are going out. Where do they go? North America. Mm-hmm. And so you have the Dutch coming to New York State, and you have the English settling first at Jamestown, and then, of course, the big one is in Plymouth with the Pilgrims. Now, you caught my attention right there, the Dutch coming to New York State, you said. And um, someplace way back, I found out that the Elmendorfs came to this area of, of New York State in 1667. Yeah. So it kind of goes along with what you're saying. So, so there's the heritage of the great omission in your family there, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, because yeah. actually what you what we're going to find out is, you know, when I started looking at this, as soon as the Dutch started to settle, and especially when they started to settle farther up in the state in mm-hmm. Fort Orange, which is what we call Albany now and Schenectady, mm-hmm. that actually a lot of the uh, Dutch Reform ministers – went out and spread the gospel mm-hmm. among the Mohawk, especially. Well, this is very interesting. Um, even before we opened the mic, too, you reminded me of um, another era, and that was the Pilgrim era. And what was the story there with uh, the American Indians? Right. Well, what happened with the Pilgrims, of course, is is they came and, and they were thinking they were going to be landing in Virginia, and instead they wound up on Plymouth Rock, and, and so the Plymouth Colony was started. Understand that they weren't all Christians, if you will, that, that landed there. They were called saints and strangers. You ah, had the Puritan right. separating, what we call the, the separatists that said, England, the Anglican Church, it's just not going to do it. We have to mm-hmm. we have to split from the Anglican Church. And then you had other Puritans that were to come later that said, no, it's not totally corrupt. We can improve it. So you had the separating and non-separating. Well, the separating okay. ones came first. And, of course, the Indians saved their lives the first year because they didn't have food and they were able to— eat the food there. So this was the Wampanoag Indians. Wampanoag, okay. And that did that. Their chief was Massasoit. And they were able to to live be, because of that. And they ha- had established a pretty good relationship mm-hmm. with the Wampanoag Indians. Well, a few years later, one of the things that's not told, everybody knows that the Indians, uh, the Wampanoag Indians, uh, saved the pilgrims. What is not known is that it wasn't but a few years later that when the pilgrims were established, Mm -hmm. that they returned the favor. The Wampanoag had a very tough winter, didn't have enough food, but the pilgrims had been able to produce enough food through their farming methods and had enough to share and and carry them through. Yeah. So the pilgrims then returns the favor. Right. And helps feed the American Indians. Right. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Now, um, what about the Iroquois? Seems like when I was in grade school, maybe, um, seems like there was a lot of talk about the Iroquois. There, that was a very popular subject in school. Yeah. And I was I was always interested in the Iroquois. Uh, I remember when I was in grade school going up to the museum in Albany and and singing. I was fascinated with it. Mm-hmm. The Iroquois is is a confederation of nations. It uh, started off as five, the Mohawk on the east, the Senecas on the west, then you had the Oneida, the 
Onondaga and the Cayuga in the middle. And then later they were joined by the Tuscaroras, who were essentially driven out uh, from the south. I think the Cherokee actually kind of pushed them out, and they came and joined the, the Confederation. Now, understand, in terms of New York, where they were. You're starting at basically where Albany is and then going west. Hmm. If you go east of the Hudson River, you have the the Mohegans. Mohegans and Mohawks are not the same. They're a different people group, and uh, the Mohegans are probably more associated with the Delaware or the Lenny Lenape. Hmm. Now, the Lenny Lenape and the Delaware are mostly associated with Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Okay. And they were... In some ways, they had good relations with the Iroquois, but they were subservient to the Iroquois. Using the the language that they used back then, it was that the Iroquois had made women of them, Hmm. and uh, which kind of showed a a kind of a subservience Mm -hmm. to the Iroquois nations. Mm -hmm. And so when you had the settlements, and this is one of the things you understand right away as well, even in New England with, with the the Puritans, when they came in, they were very concerned about evangelizing Uh these people. And people don't realize the first Bible that was printed in the colonies here was printed in 1663, which was John Eliot's translation of the Massachusetts tribes there. Oh, really? Yeah. So it was in in the native tongue— Right. Of that. Um, of the people there. Oh, that's interesting. And and so that's the first Bible. He translated that. Now, think about this. Hmm. The Pilgrim's Land, 1620, 1621. Okay, so right in there. And within 40 years, you have a Bible translation yeah. for these people. Yeah. Understand what's going on. When these people get here, it's not like, okay, let's get a hold of the real estate agent and, and find a nice house to live in. Yeah. These people were subsistence living. <laughs> they were they were struggling just to survive and not starve to death or freeze to death. And when you think of all of that and how quickly this Bible translation came in, I think it's a little bit remarkable. That's neat. Well, today we're talking with um, the Reverend Mark Diedrich, and one of his studies from years ago was on the colonial... Protestant missions to the Iroquois. In fact, he earned a THM from Princeton Theological Seminary on that very subject. And uh, we often hear of abuse of the American Indian, and um, sometimes, maybe often even, blame is is thrown at the Christians. And um, Mark, I think you brought this out, and that that is, there's a difference in Christians and the, the way the term is used. Exactly right. Of course, whenever anyone came here from Europe, they were quote-unquote Christians. Mm-hmm. But as we know today, there are people who are nominally Christians because, well, after all, they're not Buddhist and they're not atheist and, and uh, they're not Muslim, right? So in a general term, they're Christian, but... So, but <laughs> But they never go to church. They really don't. They're not committed at all mm-hmm. to to Jesus Christ. And so there's a difference between a nominal, in name only, right. quote unquote, Christian, and a genuine Christian who 
believes in Jesus and, and follows. And uh, follows him and studies his yeah, word, and, yeah. and that's and what he wants him to do. in a personal way. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. And so you have a big difference between these two groups of people, and, and it's often not recognized. Uh-huh. And it's something that we need to understand to understand a lot of the history, because if there's anything that is kind of a bad mark on the American nation is how we have treated mm-hmm. all these peoples, these tribes that were already here. But who treated those tribes that way? And, of course, yeah. the broad paintbrush says, well, it's the Christians who did it. Well, in some ways, if you're going to use that broad paintbrush to say anybody who's a Christian is a Christian who somehow or another fits that category, that nominal category, right? you can say that, but that's not who the real Christians were, and it was, in fact, the real Christians who often were fighting the battles to get the fair treatment <laughs> it's the other way for around, these people. Yes. And, in fact, the nominal Christians often hated the missionaries. Now, that's very interesting. Yes. So you see how that works in a couple different ways. The first way it works is, of course, in terms of trying to evangelize people. Because what would happen is you'd have, for example, a Montauk Indian or a Mohegan, and they would say, you know, I have these neighbors, and they're quote-unquote Christians. Well, they're nominal Christians, and they get me drunk, and then they steal from me. Now, who would do that to the to the Indians, you're saying? Any number of the settlers that were there. One of the big problems that, and it was universal and even today in most most of the tribes that were here is a problem with alcohol well i often have heard of that yeah yeah and it was a huge problem alcoholism was a terrible problem Mm -hmm. among them and so what would happen was some of these settlers would come in and realize well when these people are stinking drunk i can take advantage of them them off and that's what they would do how sad and it was, and it was, and it was terribly sad. And so you had a, a number of these uh, tribal people who would, who would stand up and say, "Why should I follow your mm-hmm. your God? Because what you are preaching, I look at how they live, and they live horribly." Mm. The other thing was those that did listen. For example, one of the big missionary groups that came in were the Moravians, mm-hmm. and when they evangelized, especially in New York. This is Shekomeko, right out here near Pine Plains. Mm-hmm. They had a group of Christians there. Well, a lot of the settlers around there didn't like the Moravians and mm-hmm. really did everything they could to stop them. Why? Because when these Indians, the Mohegan Indians, converted, what they did was they quit drinking. <laughs> They weren't subject to being intoxicated with the rum that the the other settlers were trying Uh, to to get them on. And their manner of life was suddenly changed and dramatically, and it was a wonderful thing. I just did a quick search on uh, Google while you were talking, and (laughs) there is an article here. The Moravians, the Shekomeko Indians, and the... Nathan yeah, the Ganadin Hutton massacre. massacre. <laughs> now that that occurred, the Ganadin Hutton massacre occurred during the American Revolution. It was a very, yeah. very sad thing. I believe we're going way back in 
yeah. <laughs> into my studies, Dad. You know this, uh, but you had come this, across that. I yeah, oh yeah, this this occurred. These studies I did probably forty years ago or oh, more. My, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, to interrupt you, um, there's a picture here on this website of a uh, of a monument, and apparently it's in Pine Plains in Dutchess County, New York, yeah. and it's uh, it's at this Moravian mission. So that's kind of interesting. I'll have to visit that sometime. I didn't I didn't realize that because most of that what they did was in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And the Ganadin massacre, just to give a, a quick review, one of the problems that you always have is prejudice. I don't care who you are, what ethnic background you are, there's always a tendency to lump everyone. Isn't so, that true? During the American Revolution, of course, what happened was the Mohawk Indians and the Seneca Indians joined with the British. And mm-hmm. the Moravians kept the Lenny Lenape, the Delaware Indians, out of the battle. What's they, that word you're using? The Lenny Lenape. Okay. Yeah, the Lenny Lenape is the, I think, the, the more proper name mm-hmm. for the Delaware Indians. But they kept them out of the battle, out of the American Revolution. They said, this is not your fight. We're not going to, don't get involved with it. Mm-hmm. And they didn't. And what happened during the American Revolution, as the fighting started going, the Moravians said, we've got to move you farther west to stay out of this mess. They wanted to protect them. They did. And so they moved them into the Ohio region. But their main area had been in Gnadenhutten. And in order to get them out, they moved them rather quickly. And they had left a lot of supplies at Gnadenhutten. And so it was a tough winter, and they needed supplies, so they sent a party back to be able to gather their food from Gnadenhut and bring mm-hmm. them back to the Indians. Well, what had happened in the meantime is the English and another raiding party of Mohawks and Senecas had hit, I believe it was Wyoming, mm-hmm. the town of Wyoming, and it was called the Wyoming Massacre. And so what happened was the colonial militia gathered together to try to catch them. And where do they wind up? They wind up in Gnadenhutten at the same time that these Moravian converts Hmm. are there trying to gather food. Mm -hmm. And they kept them overnight and then in the morning massacred them. Oh, my. And, of course, these people had nothing to do with with the Wyoming massacre. And it was a, a sad, sad mark, again, on the colonial government that, and we did that, but that was yeah. the things that happened. I guess one of the lessons I take away from this is you really got to be careful to um, not paint with an overly broad brush people, people groups, right, um, or a person's uh, theology. Even this, this so-called great omission, really was a misnomer, and it was a bearing of false witness uh, against um, those yeah. who held to the historic Christian faith. One of the things you can do is you can always say can turn around just like Solomon Stoddard said, you can always say, we should have done more. Oh, yes. And in fact, one of the early uh, conflicts between some of the New England tribes was called King Philip's War. Mm -hmm. And one of the pastors at that time actually was Jonathan Edwards' grandfather, a man by the name of Solomon Stoddard, who was the Billy Graham of his day mm-hmm. in that area. Believe me, he was very well known. He wrote a sermon, and his sermon was questioned whether God is not angry with the country for doing so little towards the conversion of the Indians. Interesting. You know, and so his argument was, 
we should have done more to convert these Indians. Therefore, we wouldn't have had this problem. And there's truth to that, but Mm. we can say that today. We can Mm. look at America today and, and say a lot of the Christians are being persecuted today, and we could say, isn't it because we haven't done more to convert the people around us? Mm. You know, you know, I, we're getting close to the end already. This has been an interesting discussion. Um, I came across um, another web page, Native Heritage Project, and they're talking about eugenics, and uh, that's another evil right, <laughs> in yeah. our day. And we we see it uh, even extending, in my estimation, even into uh, abortion today. But how often it is that the the true Christian puts aside any kind of bias, racial or otherwise, mm-hmm. in order to save little babies that yeah. have no voice of their own. And, um, you know, that's that just speaks of the love of Christ. Um, this, this has nothing, I know I'm changing the subject here, it has nothing to do with a woman's right to her body. It has to do with that child's right to life. And so right. I just had to say that because I... I came across this Native Heritage Project online. They were talking about eugenics as an Indian removal. <laughs> and I guess that, that was uh, yeah. part of the, the history. And it, and it does fit very well because one of the things you see about the Christian faith that we take seriously is the Imago Dei. Yeah. And the Imago Dei, from the time a child is conceived, it contains the Imago Dei. Therefore, it's precious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we see how precious these these individuals were. And when you looked at these Christians who came, the Moravian missionaries, David Brainerd, of course, did some work among the Delaware Indians, and many people know of him as one of the great missionaries. But the Moravians did so much more than David Brainerd did, Mm. you know, and they're not known very well. Mm. But they love these people because they knew they contained the Imago Dei, and they changed some things in them. Now, a lot of people would say, oh, they're changing the culture. Well, there was a reason they wanted to change the culture. Cultures change anyhow. I'm sorry. Cultures change. (laughs) To to take a a, a people group or a tribal group and say, you can't change, is to treat them like a zoo animal. I'm sorry. Just imagine how the cell phone alone has changed our culture. Exactly right. And already there were things changing in in these cultures. But these were positive changes. They Mm. would look and, for example, they made... A lot of these tribal groups more agrarian. Oh, yeah. They could support themselves. They can support yeah, themselves. Yeah. Exactly right. Many of them before that suffered a lot more privation, especially in the winter times. You know what? I um, We are out of time now, and I, I just didn't want to – I did want to state this, and that is um, I have noticed that in the, the tower business, and I'm no expert, but, you know, we've hired tower climbers – and uh, I've been told time and time again that uh, the American Indian has unusual capability regarding climbing, walking on those steel girders mm-hmm. early on in New York City in the construction of the tall buildings. And it's almost like they lack fear. Have you ever heard that before? Yes, and specifically with the Mohawk Indians. I heard That's that amazing. The, a Mohawk is one of the finest climbers and, if you will, I, I guess iron workers. They would be wa- <laughs> what, walking what, those girders. What talent. My hat is off to them. <laughs> Absolutely. Mine is too. I could not oh. do that. I, oh. I, I would get up there, and I, my arms would be around that beam, clinging to it oh. as tightly I, as I, I would. Could. I would die. <laughs> hey, thanks a lot. Today we've been talking with the Reverend Mark Diedrich, and specifically about colonial Protestant missions to the Iroquois and how that spread out to uh, our area of the country. 
We talked a little bit about the uh, Moravian mission to the Indians. And uh, thank you very much, Mark, for joining us today. Glad to be here. Thanks so much, Dan. Dear listener, you can find this up online as a podcast. Just go to RedeemerBroadcasting.org. Please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. <laughs> 